This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Road Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from the not-so-crap part of West Hollywood, Rogers, the Men in Blazers podcast. A rare Monday morning pod for us. Our effort to sully your week, dear listener, before it's even really had a chance to grab itself up of its own accord. Rog, I caught you on TV this weekend. I missed <sighs> so much. But it was so wonderful to see you. I'm still recovering, Dave, from the NBC Sports Fan Fest live at the South Street Seaport. Oh, it was a thing. It was. It was like college game day meets full kit wanker if you didn't see it. It was like, picture a a massive room packed with American Premier League football fans. You could essentially divide them into two groups. There were Robbie Musto groupies. I said that man is a stealth sex symbol, proof that nothing, nothing is sexier than the mind. Pretty well everybody else, David, they were like, Michael Davis lookalikes. I, th- I think American Premier League soccer fans over-index on balds, David. Way less bald in person, Rog. Trademark pending. But it was a. <laughs> it looked like a lively crowd, Rog. And I, you and I hadn't discussed this since I told you that I wasn't available to do it because I had to be out here. Somebody's uh, got to feed the homeless. Those were your words. For charity. Charity. You did feed the homeless, didn't you? Yeah, from a yellow Lamborghini. You did, I, though. He doesn't um, like to talk about his charity work. Doesn't like to talk about my charity work. Um, but I, so, and I wasn't sure whether you had agreed to do it or not. I didn't know whether you were going to show up. So I watched it, and then I heard it being teased. I thought, oh god, what's Roger going to do? He's going to do a stand up on his own. And then you're doing it with Platts, who I'm now calling replacement Davo. I'm convinced that this was all part of your plan. I think you engineered my Thanksgiving out here in West Ham at charity work. Yeah. Uh, in order so you could start working with Clats and Roger and Clats is the new double act. <sighs> There's no replacing Dave. I did meet Clats. You had chemistry. He's a lovely bloke. He's got, I say, he's got a real sense of humour about himself and his past, which came in handy when I started speaking to him and he was accosted by a group of Everton fans who have good memories. Um, what did you think of him as a pundit, by the way? I thought he was great. I thought it was excellent. Look, the referee and refereeing decisions are so often part of the story. And, you know, he's able to talk about those things. I love his accent. He's got that magnificent northeastern Geordie uh, lilt in his voice. I think it came uh, as a bit of a shock to many listeners. At Emmanuel Bryan among them, he said hearing Mark Clattenburg's voice for the first time was as shocking as finding out just how Hodor became Hodor. I think Many American ears find the North Eastern English accent, they find it a conundrum at first listen. It is worth working at it because it's so liberating to hear a referee speak. And, and Klatz is a man who feels there's nothing left for him to achieve after doing the Champions League Euro final in one year. He really did become the British Games rock star referee. And I think he burnt out. And so right now he's in a position where he speaks with confidence, without self-doubt or question marks. And that's frankly what makes him so fascinating. We taped a pod special that's going to come out in the next couple of weeks. We talked about what a referee does in a game when he knows he's made a mistake and whether the commentator's cliche of a make-up call is real. At Sox CLE tweeted us to say, will Klatz have an MIB patch tattoo coming soon i can't <laughs> confirm nor deny that but what did you think of the whole premier league fan festing I, I i'll be honest i think i failed in my work with the becks and robbies my goal was to become american soccer's sergio dip what did it look like <laughs> on live tv it looked good look it looked a lot like BlazerCon to me uh rog honestly and there was a point at which rebecca and robbie and robbie were at such a small table that honestly, I felt we should have lent them the panic room because it <laughs> looked like a larger uh, production. <laughs> but I think it was a great idea. I think this was a roaring success for NBC and everyone committed to it. And first year things are always hard, tough to launch an event uh, first time out. But I think this will be 
something they'll do every year, and I think it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. I think their table got smaller and smaller and smaller. I think if you look yeah. at the clips, they started um, working off a normal, regular, round-sized table. By the second hit, it had shrunken to like a two-top. I think by the, by the end of the pregame, they were pretty well broadcasting off a beer mat. <laughs> on, on legs. <laughs> by the way, I agree with you. I think it was a brave experiment. I mean, I, I still need to watch more of how it came across to the televisual eye. I can say, being there, it was a real switch in strategy for NBC, who spent the past, is it five years, focusing on bringing over the English atmosphere in the most diligent, authentic, detailed fashion possible. And for one weekend, they completely changed that focus, put the American fan culture front and center. And being there, in the studio, surrounded by fans, many, many, many GFOPs. It was honestly lovely to be in the loving arms of so many great friends of the pod who travelled uh, to the bottom of Manhattan to be with us. There is a remarkable culture here, and it has its own rhythms and traditions, the pints, the pub, the passion. I'm mostly fascinated, Davo, how Americans, shorn of the geographical dictates of how we grew up, which kind of delivered to you whom you should support you know for me being born into a family in Liverpool three generations of Everton fans it meant I had no choice but to be in a blue but in America (laughs) and yet your brother born in the same house became a red Nigel is a wonderful man he's the greatest brother in the world there is no doubt about that but he's always been driven by the value of the contrarian God love him in football as in life but in America where you're free to choose with fresh eyes all of these unbelievable teams and characters. What I realised on Saturday, it doesn't mean the identity is any less passionate or any less heartfelt. I met two fans, Dave. One a Chelsea fan, one of yours from Philadelphia, Tim, who was born a diehard hockey fan in the Legion of Doom era, the Lindros Flyers. And he's fallen in love with Chelsea to such an extent He's now got the Chelsea Lion, huge Chelsea Lion, tattooed on his forearm. I met a gent, Elliot, from Brooklyn, started to watch Spurs over the past few years, now has two Tottenham tattoos on his person, one a giant logo, please don't change your logo, Spurs, on his back. And and I'm amazed by that identity shift from being kind of full-on American sports fans, loving hockey, loving the NFL, loving the NBA, to first finding soccer, and then it just becoming the single most important part of your identity where you tattoo it on your purse. And I find that thrilling and amazing. I will say, Davo, there was about 30, 40 minutes on Saturday when Spurs were losing to West Brom and grinding away, as we will discuss. And there were 150 or so Chelsea fans who were waiting for your mob to kick off against Liverpool. Let's just say there were a few beers in. And they, start, they were watching the game on the sidelines as like 150 Tottenham fans aghast were looking at the season slip through their fingers. And the Chelsea fans decided they were just going to start chanting, we hate Tottenham and we hate Tottenham, we hate Tottenham, going on. And I did for 40 minutes or so. I started to worry. That but it was the, all going to go off. Yeah, that the fan fest was about to kick off in a dark way that no one at NBC probably had imagined in their brainstorming meeting. Back in the day, I'll just say this, because I know you're listening. Harry Kane, you're a great friend of the pod. Thank God for your goal. You're the saviour of Tottenham. You're the saviour of England. And on Saturday, at least, more than you will ever know, you are the saviour of the NBC Live Fan Fest. Could you imagine doing a fan fest in Manchester or Liverpool (laughs) or the equivalent where you'd have fans from all over the country come together and watch their favourite teams on a a broadcast with uh, Sky or BT Sport, it would just be the most violent event of all time. It's what I said to um, Ashley. I did a halftime show of Ashley Cole and Michael Essien. Mm-hmm. I, I took the stage and said, three Chelsea legends here. Ashley Cole, the crowd go mad. Michael Essien, crowd go mad. And I said, me, Chopper Harris, crowd went <laughs> less mad. But <laughs> That's I, only because I don't know who Chopper Harris is. I said to him afterwards, I said, Ashley, he, he was loving it, by the way. He was absolutely loving Michael Essien couldn't believe it. Ashley at least has been here and seen the rise of the game through his own eyes. Michael Essien could not believe what he was seeing. And I said, could you ever do this in England, Ashley? And he just, you know, everyone was reverential, coming up to him, asking politely for photos. 
you took 10 seconds to imagine what it would be like. He said, in America, people politely ask you for photographs, occasionally ask for an autograph. He said, in England, even the nice ones, they don't ask for a photograph. They take one with you and then they tell you why you're an effing idiot after they've taken <laughs> the photograph. Uh, and that's the difference. America, you are a wonderful world and an amazing football culture more than you'll ever know. Okay, Rog, a lot going on in uh, Men in Blazers' world, quite apart from FanFest. Oh, MIB News, watch out! Diddly did, 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 diddly did, did, did. The Men in Blazers show returns, oh, so soon. Oh. This Wednesday, November the 29th, live. That's a terrible idea. It's awful. With Stranger Things 2 scene stealer, Paul Reiser, Davo. Can't oh. be honest, I'm just excited to talk diner with that man. We've also got a ton of pod specials in the pipe, the pipe being producer J-Dub's Mac, which he's frantically trying to edit. Klatz is next up. There's rumour, there's rumour, Davo, of our old friend GFOP Roberto Martinez dropping in to tape a Belgian World Cup special. Special, 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 special. Yeah. That's amazing. We oh. love Roberto. It's got my nipples tingling. I know, you want him to come back to Everton. Oh, God, we'll talk about that. And then even worse news, Men in Blazers merch available, flying off the shelves, and a thing of wonder. Grab the Bulls win sweatshirt for the power bald in your life. It's one of my favourites. We also have an MIB Men in Blazers sweatshirt designed by GFOP Bob Bjarki, which might be the most optimal, suboptimal thing we've ever created. They've even produced a, a holiday sweatshirt, Davo, with you looking... Oh, like you've just been born in a manger, I will tell you. You look like Christian Pulisic, an angel, and I am in my rabbinical Hanukkah garb. Your support allows us to take more when you buy these things. We can create more. We can take more. Send us your photos also of yourself in your MIB crap as you started to do this weekend. We adore seeing them. It truly, truly, oh, it warms my cockles, Dave, and I need my cockles warmed right now. I love this merch, Rog. I love it so much, I can't even describe it as crap. I mean, it is crap. <laughs> it's suboptimal crap, but it's also really, really good. I can't resolve those two, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, to <sighs> it's like that run DMC line with the baddest what? mother in the neighborhood. Not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> bad. It's, like, it's very hard. It's really hard to describe. Uh, actually, if you love football, you absolutely know what it is. If whatever team you support other than Manchester City, you know that something can be good and crap all at the same time. <laughs> OK, Rog, we've got a packed show. We check our resting heart rate while discussing the meeting of touchline jazzercise enthusiasts Jurgen Klopp and Antonio Conte in Liverpool's 1-1 draw with Chelsea. We hunker down while talking Man City's siege of Thessalonica-esque 2-1 win over Huddersfield. And we break down 1-0 wins that felt a bit like reheated leftovers for both Man United and Arsenal. To the football, Rog. To the football with my special edition 200th anniversary of Guinness can, Davo. Oh, to celebrate a phenomenal weekend in which I survived Thanksgiving with my dad. <laughs> and we saw two of the best performances amidst, I will say, the pain of defeat. Sadly, one of them not Everton. The opposite of true... Great performances. But when you look at the confidence, courage yeah. and tactical organisation of Sean Deitch's Burnley and David Wagner's vision-fueled Huddersfield, Visions. you see all the best of humanity. Collective trust, hard work, creative thought, which live on for me even in defeat. And I raise my glass, Dave. I raise my Guinness to them, the clubs, the towns, the teams, the fans. To me, the challenge those teams present, the why this is the best league in the world. Let's start right in. Oh, this was a good game. Liverpool won, Chelsea won. Jurgen Klopp's team enter this one like they were shot out of a Schwerer Gustav railway gun, hustling and harrying all over the park. And in the 65th minute, they finally broke through when former Chelsea man and the Premier League's leading scorer and uh, mid-bottomed small Rog Mo Salah finished neatly past Thibaut Courtois from close range. But in the 85th minute, substitute Willian Hmm, he's more of a large bottom small, Rog. Delivered a chasse heard round the world. His wayward cross looped over Simon Mignolet and rescued a point for Chelsea. It was more of a crat, Rog. It was a cross and a shot. Yeah, we're going to discuss that at great length. It was a cross. Oh, I, I see it somewhat differently, and we're going to break it down. The etymology and the detail is crucial to understanding hmm. the brilliance of that moment, which 
grabbed a tie in the Mo Salah Memorial Derby. An odd game, Davo, from the outset, mostly because both starting 11s, they just felt lesser. And I'm interested to know what you felt at kickoff after you saw the team selections in this one. Liverpool resting Bobby Firmino, Wijnaldum, Sadio Mane, Sturridge and Ox in. Oh, Chelsea rested Sesk, William Pedro, your Danny Drinkies team now. Yeah, there's a lot of been written about this in England. I think still there are a lot of teams have come back from international break. They're sort of carrying some injuries. And we're now going into that period, Rog, right, of extreme fixture congestion. We've got uh, midweek fixtures and then we've got this incredibly busy Christmas period. And there has to be some squad rotation to start. And I think a lot of teams surprise people with their starting lineups this weekend. Um, a run of 13 matches in 44 days will do that. Force managers to make these kind of decisions. Although, to be candid, at kickoff, I did think a five-a-side game between the two benches might have been a better spectacle. Yeah, it would have been good. And Conte's tactic, six men clogging the midfield early, perhaps paid too much respect to Liverpool's perceived potency. And yet it sort of worked. Chelsea, I thought, started pretty well. Liverpool came on for a clogged midfield game and with Liverpool with their Gagan press. You know, there was definitely a lot of attacking going on from both sides. I like this. I felt like this was two teams going at each other pretty well. Liverpool opened with full throttle, cloppy and intensity of old. They really repressed the memory. I was quite impressed how they were able to smother the memory of that midweek night in Seville where the nightmares of Liverpool's kind of slapstick, flimsy defence came back to haunt them and then some. And they started off just trying to feed Salah in that frantic, talismanic way. They didn't even do this with Suarez at his peak, David, when they at least had Sturridge as a one-two punch up front. In seasons past, we've marvelled at Liverpool as that fearsome force of many guns, in the words of Mike Myers. But watching them on this day, they suddenly seem like a one-man team, like 76ers in the days of Alan Iverson. Salah, the Egyptian answer. And Chelsea countering with their Leicester City redux midfield, Drinky and Kante trying Ooh. to grab the, t- the, the stranglehold. What do you think about that tandem? They've played a lot with each other at Leicester, not played a lot with each other at Chelsea. I thought Drinkwater was pretty useful. Yeah, Chelsea, look, Chelsea's strength, you know, Morata and Hazard are incredible players, but Chelsea's, what makes them European class, certainly as a team, is the strength of their defence. And I felt what was interesting, and this actually ultimately speaks to how good Mo Salah is. This is the best I've seen Mo Salah defended all season. He was defended really well. You sort of felt there were moments where he got the ball one-on-one and that, oh my God, he's just going to, we've seen him just like skin that defender. And then again and again and again, the Chelsea centre-backs and wide players were able to stay with him. Still, Mo Salah found a way to sort of uh, be the best player on the field in the game and to affect the outcome of the game. Uh, but I thought he was defended very well. I thought defensively, Chelsea looked very good. But without Sesk, Sean of Sesk, Chelsea don't have another playmaker in the centre of the park who's able to really make things happen. Chelsea may have played Mo Salah well, but Liverpool also coat with Morata or threw him off his game in a way that surprised me. My brother, who was at the game, he goes to every Liverpool game partially because he loves taking his son, partially, I think, to wipe my face in it. And he said, watching Hazard live, he said it was like watching someone on skates when everyone else is slipping barefoot on the ice, like the pace of Hazard live is so different even to what you see with his huge buttocks flying through the middle of that field on television, like a Belgian Taylor Hall. But Morata, to me, disappointing in this one. It was like he couldn't cope with the physicality and the tempo, Davo. I hope this is a learning experience for him and not something that we're going to see repeated. Well, what he misses, you know, Alvaro Morata, you know, surprising, coming from La Liga, he is more of a traditional English style. Obviously, he's got a lot more skill than most English style centre forwards. But, you know, he's good in the air. He thrives off the long ball. Think about so many of his goals have come with balls over the top. That's where he plays really well. Without Sesk in the centre of midfield, you know, and constantly being able to play off the shoulder of the defender, he loses a lot of his power. There's no central midfield threat on the long ball. So he's got to get intricate. It's got to be those little narrow runs running off, Hazard running with the ball. He's got to make an intelligent run. That's not really who he is. That's not really the kind of striker he is. But look, that is an element of his game. Sesk isn't going to be available the whole time. You know, Sesk is coming, my guess is, towards the end of his Chelsea career. Um, I don't know who else is going to go and replace him. He's going to have to find other ways to score. For me, Chelsea's big mistake was not to spot Liverpool their dreaded 3-0 lead, after which they completely yeah. self-combust and fall apart. 
And Liverpool seemed to realise that the best way they could prevent that from happening was simply to keep the ball as far away from their own goal as possible. And the only thing that stopped them from opening the scoring was Daniel Sturridge. Liverpool at their best. They tie their opponents into origami shapes with their movement. Sturridge just seemed to run straight off the shoulder of the last defender. It was incredibly easy for Chelsea to cope with. And as well as the Chelsea defence played, it took a Chelsea switch off for Liverpool to break through in the 65th minute. Yeah, not for the first time this season. Bakayoko, uh, careless in possession, Rog. The kind of mistake you really don't see in elite games outside of Gary Cahill or Phil Jones. The Ox pounces, slip pass, setting up the Egyptian for a dagger of a shot. Oh, all those six starts he made for Chelsea must have come flooding back into your mind as his yeah. sweet delight and vengeance and validation, that clinical roll of the ball. I mean, few strikers finish with more precise composed styles than him in the Premier League right now. Yeah, there's a little bit of good fortune in the way that ball slipped through. Um, I have to say that because we've got to make up for the massive piece of good fortune on Chelsea's goal later. <laughs> but look, he has speed and it's so tough and he has that kind of speed that you that you just can't help but lose him. And Chelsea, who are a very good defending team and were very good against Salah in this game, they lost him. And so many quality players, a quality goal. And at that point, i got to say, I didn't really see a way for Chelsea to come back into this. Yeah, where there's Liverpool's defence, there's always hope, though, Dave. I, I will say, watching Salah refuse to celebrate, many immediately laughing. Why would he do that? He barely played for Chelsea. And in fact, he was refusing to celebrate because the game came a day after the savage terrorist attack in which militants detonated a bomb inside a crowded mosque in the Sinai Peninsula, taking 305 lives. I can't honestly imagine Sorry. what he felt, Dave. Awful. Netting his 10th goal in 13 Premier League games, a Liverpool record. Mo Salah, a.k.a. to me, the real Time Magazine Man of the Year. And I do love, you know, I read the Egyptian press, Dave. I always have, always will. I've enjoyed the Egyptian soccer media already ruminating about a possible move next season for Salah to Real Madrid or Barcelona. Enjoy him while you can, Liverpool fans and my brother Nigel. But Liverpool... (laughs) They can't shut down a game. Well, at this point, I felt Chelsea also, you know, showed great strength of character. Uh, and I think they came on to Liverpool. You're right about Liverpool's defence. It looked shaky immediately. Liverpool was still trying to play quite open football, which felt bizarre. You wanted them to go into the lockdown. I don't think Jürgen's teams do that. And Chelsea just came on to them again and again and again. No Mane. To me, it's like playing with one arm behind your back. I mean, he trotted on the Senegalese for the final moment. And I'll say this, I don't, understand the logic behind Jurgen Klopp's man management in-game, his substitution plan. In this one, oh, you watched Antonio Conte start to work his bench like Bobby Valentine, f- just looking for tactical shifts, competitive edges. Klopp seemed yeah. to do the opposite. Sess chucked on to that midfield at 74 minutes. Chelsea just started the grasp control of the tempo. Liverpool never countered. I will say, when Willian strolled on in the 83rd minute, there was a lot of grief from Chelsea fans initially. Yeah, no, definitely. Willian's not had a great season. He seems to have lost a bit of a step, but he had a very good game uh, in the Champions League, and I think he was rewarded uh, for that game uh, against Quarabag. And, um, you know, he's ultimately the guy that came on and made the difference. Describe, Davo, what happened. It was a it... shot cross, which we normally call a chasse, but this to me, and by the smile on his face and by Antonio Conte's comments afterwards more of a cross than a shot technically a crot surely no it is a crot rod this is this clearly is not a chasse a chasse is a shot that is so bad that it becomes a pass and sets up somebody else that's a chasse <laughs> that's, uh, that's daniel sturridge's specialty this is look chelsea long memory chelsea fans will remember the great dame jesper gronkaya who used to play for uh, chelsea wide in the ranieri era at chelsea and Jesper Gronkaya, honestly, would only score when he was crossing. Those were the only goals that Jesper Gronkaya ever scored for Chelsea. He would, like, from wide on the right, he'd send it across. By the way, we've already seen a Jesper Gronkaya-like goal this season, Zappacosta, uh, that early game in the Champions League. I'm not quite sure uh, that that was a shot. It was a cross that sort of went in far post. Fantastic goal. Hot this crot! One, you've got, as a crot, you've got to give Willian a little bit of credit. That little stutter step step over to uh, set this up 
you know, he moves so well from a standing start, William. He relies on it a little bit too much, but he moves so well from a standing start. He created himself some space. You just do not want to give anybody that much space on the ball. You'd have to say, you know, the biggest reason why this was so definitely a crot, Rog, and it was a cross, is that there are two Chelsea players on the far post. By the way, had he not hit the target, you almost feel that this was an inevitable Chelsea goal. But it was a fantastic initial move. Then, even though he said after the game, oh yeah, that was definitely uh, a shot. I'm going to say in his defence that that may have been lost in translation from the Portuguese. A piece of good fortune. Not the first time you've seen it. Given too much space, given too much of a chance. We saw other fortunate goals in the Premier League. Uh, this weekend. Don't you give me your whataboutism. And City. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a cross. There's no <sighs> other way. To, it was a cross. It was a crot, Rog. Oh, shot, shas, cross or crot. It doesn't matter which it was. When Simon Mignolet's in goal, all four have a near certain chance of going in. I did love how the cameras jumped immediately to Conte. It was just pumping his fists in the air on the sideline. Just a relief, a thrill an open delight as if he has worked hard with his team on their crots in training. Hot crot. Be like showing them video of Jesper Gronkar. He was the hot crot. Be like him. But who was this really, Dave, a better point for in context? Manchester City. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Ding, ding, no. ding, 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 ding. I feel like I say this every week. It's the answer to almost every question, Dave. I think it was worse for Liverpool. I think it was slightly better for Chelsea. Chelsea did not want to go there and lose this game. But I think for ultimately, this is great for Man City and especially with what happened at Huddersfield. This was a great result for Manchester City. And let's go right to that game, Rog. Huddersfield 1, Man City 2. The league leaders survive a scare, a long scare, Rog, from a team with no regard for the Premier League cast system. After a Nicolas Otamendi own goal just before halftime using his shoulder, the Terriers dropped back into a defensive shell. City levelled it just after the break via a Sergio Aguero penalty. And in the 84th minute, with City coming in waves... It was that man, Raz, Rog, bumbling home the winner, Raz style, and wheeling away looking as shocked as anyone. City have more points through 13 games than any other team in Premier League history, Rog. And this one, it was about as unequal a matchup on paper as a Premier League can serve up. Huddersfield's entire team cost $47 million. Manchester City's starting 11 cost 10 times that. Their bench alone was valued at $232 million. This was very much David versus Goliath. But the fact that the David was David Wagner, it meant that Huddersfield weren't only used to being the heavy underdogs, they were thrilled to play that role. Remember, Manchester United fans, you'll remember being vanquished at the John Smith. Spurs fans will know they're the only team that have gone there and previously snagged three points. And the Terriers took the field with this meticulous game plan, which is what they do, to jam up the middle of the field, to sit back, force City wide, to deny them that sweet spot, the red zone. They love to cross the ball from right by either goalpost. They shut down and targeted KDB, and they hoped to nab something on a break up the flank, targeting the relative lack of pace of company on Otamendi. And it was a game plan that worked in the first half, Dave, to perfection. Yeah, and it was more, look, I think a lot of other teams are going to watch that and think, okay, this is how you set up against Man City to hurt them. But it was the collective endeavour. It was so amazing after the game hearing David Wagner talk about his team and their individual commitment, their commitment to team, their commitment to work for each other, their commitment to work a system, their commitment to the game plan. And it takes so much more than just like how you set up to nullify, to just try to sort of like take away what an offensively potent a team as Manchester City can go and do for you. And I was so impressed with what Huddersfield did in this game. On the stroke of half-time, deep, deep, deep into Judge Ivor Bennett time, Huddersfield counter-attack up the right flank, won a corner, and that corner led to Otamendi, gonna Otamendi, in Cahill-esque style, popping the ball right into the corner. Cue terriergasm, Dave. I mean, Huddersfield had grabbed the lead despite never registering a shot on goal all game, which is remarkable. Visions of glory, David. They didn't last long, though. One minute, 54 seconds, or just 45 seconds, the other side of half time. Yeah, penalty at the other end. Tough to argue with it. I'd say uh, few human beings feel gravity's pull more keenly than Raz Sterling. Yeah, but I think this one, I mean, 
he's coming for a lot of stick for going down. He's not a big fella, let's face it. I think he's fully entitled to go down there and uh, penalty brilliantly put away. Yeah, by Aguero, shattering dreams. The dreams of both tiny Huddersfield and probably the dreams just as large at this point of the big six peloton who are also praying for a miracle. And from then on, the game became kind of close quarter conflict. Huddersfield fighting hand-to-hand, house-to-house. Just proof of the old cliche that it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. David Silver, unusually uncalibrated, but then Huddersfield tired and City's grip became so unshakable. And I love this, that Edison pushed up to play sweeper near the halfway line as his team just kept coming, coming, coming at Huddersfield. And then Raz, who we're going to laugh at, but my God, few players have improved more under another... You think of Theo Walcott, blessed with talent, a wayfish speed threat who just seemed to fall away and whiffle away his talent. You look at Raz and how under Pep's tutelage, his game has just taken on, assumed a, a sharper menace, Davo. And it was him game-changing, although he didn't know a lot about it in the 84th minute. Yeah, but rather like Willian's crot, Rog, it started with an incredible move from uh, Sterling that set up, that sort of unlocked the Huddersfield defence. And it was a brilliant, he has such speed, Raheem Sterling. He moved through, and just as you talk about his improvement as a player, some of it is technical, but some of it is purely psychological. He wants to be the player with the ball at the end of the game. Like, he wants to be that person at the centre of the action. He starts a one-two move. The initial shot is saved. And Raheem, I'm going to give him a little bit of credit here, is that it's been described as the ball just rebounded off him. I actually feel like he did move his inner thigh slash knee a little bit to put himself in the position to go and knock that goalwards. And the fact that he was just following up and chasing up, not standing around with his hands in his pockets, I'm going to give him some credit. Uh, And an amazing goal, an amazing winner to keep that winning streak alive. Yeah, the Davo crotch cam, which you have that no one else does. It gave you an inside look into the crotch of the oncoming Raz, Mm -hmm. who knew nothing about it as a ball ricocheted off him and looped into the net. But I have not seen an Everton player make that run all season, Davo. You have to make that run. You have to give that extra. You have to... That that run, you can make 100 times in a season. 99 times it's going to lead to nothing. The goalkeeper's going to parry it out wide. Here, Lossell parried it right onto the crotch. You have to put yourself there to make that goal happen. And, And cruel, perhaps, from a Huddersfield perspective, one of the few things in football worse than our show, aesthetically, that Raz goal, proof that soccer, like life, is a cruel lover. But watching City celebrate at the end, full-throated joy at the final whistle, you realised Pep wanted this very badly. Not the win at Huddersfield, but he wanted his team to be tested. He wanted them to be kept close. He wanted them to go behind, to be truly challenged. And they now know that they can leave with three points and leave benefiting from the experience. Because, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a dilettante, but easy wins, they become so boring, smashing teams for fun. It allows a team to become loose, to become complacent. And I think a hard-fought win for City here. Pep said post-game, we needed this kind of situation to happen. We have to live that situation as if the last month didn't happen. You know from a Chelsea perspective, Davo, you fight for the title. And this game, credit Huddersfield, it was a true fight. And look, it is not easy going for the title from so far ahead. Like all the... Wouldn't know. Some of the people chasing you have absolutely nothing to lose. And you have everything to lose. You look at their lead at the top of the table, you think, well, eight points and we're not even out of November. But that can be gone in a second in this league. Two successive defeats against one of them against the team chasing you. And you can, be, you can be done. And it's all clawed back. And there's just one game in it. It's certainly not over. There's a lot of pressure on the team leading it. Uh, I was impressed with this win from Man City just because of the collective um, heart to go and do it. But you look at the end of the game, you just cannot believe that Huddersfield didn't get something out of that game. Let's just say for now, 18 consecutive wins for Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Tottenham won, West Brom won, Spurs slipped further behind City, dropping points to a managerless West Brom side, still sitting shiver for Tony Pulitz. The Potters actually took the lead behind a Salomon Rondon fourth-minute slow roller, but Spurs 
were able to rescue a point thanks to Harry Kane's ninth goal of the season in the 75th minute. A disappointing result after what went down midweek in Dortmund, Rod. Yeah, Champions League glory in Dortmund. Spurs impressively, and I'll say delightfully for their own fans, finishing first in a group that featured Pulisic, born in a manger in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and Real Madrid. And now back to earth with a bump and a hangover against post-Poolis West Bromwich, just as the Paleolithic era gave way to the Mesolithic and the Neolithic ages. Gingy, temporary manager Gary Megson seems to have moved Albion well and truly into their Bronze Age. God, the Gary Megson bounce, Davo. It's real. You see teams do this all the time, Rod. They get rid of a manager, somebody else uh, starts, often a temporary manager as Alan Pardew sort of lines up, talking to everybody that he wants the job. And uh, I thought West Bromwich Albion put on an amazing performance. Remember, they won their first two games of the season, Rog. This is a team that knows how to play Premier League football. Yeah, God. and since then, the condos in the West Bromwich villages all over China, I think the sales have slowed a little bit. Maybe they've cropped back up, Davo, after this one, because within four minutes, Delhi dispossessed carelessly in the midfield. Rondon momentarily remembered he was a professional footballer, trundled through Sanchez and scuffed the ball past the rooted Loris with his trademark Venezuelan dribbler. I actually watched this game at the NBC Fan Fest on dual televisions as United laboured against Brighton on one screen, Spurs huffed and puffed against West Brom for 86 minutes on the other. Dual screen, desperately futile, debilitating constipation, Davey. Spurs really struggled to conjure anything a note in this one. Ericsson, Rog, he looks like a different person than we've seen in the Premier League for Tottenham previously. And I do think you made the point last week that he's so exhausted after getting Denmark almost single-handedly to the World Cup against Ireland. He, on this day, was their sole creative figure and he was most certainly worn down by fatigue. Uh, and in this one, the act of initial failure, the Rondon goal and the crippling sense of astonishment and humiliation that seemed to accompany the act... Many of the emotions with which I live my life day to day just seem to make Spurs suddenly appear lesser. Thank God then, yet again, for Harry Kane. Astonishing moment of movement, anticipation, instinctual finishing, opening up his body sweetly to roll the ball through the legs of a suddenly flailing Ben Foster. Last season though, Davo, Spurs would have found a way to go on, nick a winner off Son or Delhi. Not in this. Indeed, the late chances. They came to West Brom. And can we say this? Is this how title campaigns end, Davo? Not with a bang, but with a whimper against West Brom. They're certainly not out of it. But there is a. these are the sort of games that you see uh, teams who contend for titles uh, winning. And I think some of the things, some of the questions that, you know, you ask about Tottenham, that we ask about Tottenham every season. You know, I said last season, they were the best team in the Premier League. They should have won it. And they didn't. And it's sometimes these mental lapses, these sort of lapses in tenacity and guts, really. I think you felt a little bit of that in this game. Yeah, the battle for a top four place and the desperate desire to bring Champions League football to their new stadium next season is now going to be a story to watch as we enter the middle game of this season. And West Brom fans, your reward for your tenacious away point at Spurs, Alan Pardew coming. Man United won, Rod Brighton nil. United grind out a victory over a well-up-for-it Seagull side. The game's lone goal came in the 66th minute with Ashley Yang's long-range effort caroming off Lewis Dunk and looping past Matt Ryan, who until that point had been vastly improved over last year's Super Bowl <laughs> loss to the Patriots, <laughs> repelling several efforts from a blunt Romelu Lukaku-led attack. Yeah, I want to make it clear, David. I want to make it clear to you, to everyone listening, I take no pleasure in Romelu Lukaku's struggles. None. Mostly because he's dead to me. <laughs> I, I, I will say they are humanly haunting Everything to watch. could really do with him though, I would nah, say. He's broken, mate. You break him, you pay for him. It, it, it is haunting. I, do, I find it so upsetting to what he's a physically gifted 24-year-old but the mental stress and anxiety which is all too evident when you watch him play right now, we can all relate to it. Anyone who's struggling at work can relate to Romelu Lukaku. It screams at you through the television for all the world to see. Oh, and in this game against an organised, diligent, well-drilled Brighton, it was, it was heartbreaking. 
Yeah, it's heartbreaking. He's also a very, very lucky boy not to be disciplined uh, by the FA for that kick. Yeah, I mean, a kick of frustration after he'd spent almost all the game reduced to try and get his head on balls flung deep into the area while three or four United players were all battling <laughs> to get to the same ball. I say Fielding Martial and Rashford, along with Lukaku, it looked like no one knew where to run, what run to make, or who was the dominant alpha. And then Zlatan coming on. Oh, my Lord, in the 62nd minute, you could almost hear Lukaku's shoulders slump from 5,300 miles away. They were louder than bombs. He, he just became sad, dejected, frustrated, like Zlatan's life force drained all that remained of his own wounded belief, Davo. But in truth, even with Zlatan on, United didn't create much. The fact is, United don't need to. This is a Jose Mourinho side who've conceded six goals all season, Rog. And they're not going to inspire you week in, week out. We know this. This is Jose Mourinho football, Rog. To me, all you need to know about United is looking at Mourinho's face in the final minutes. It just showed it was impossible even for him to mask his frayed, flustered nerves. And that, to me, is the true nature of the win on the day. I'd love to hear what you think about it, David, because on one level, you could cast this as progress. Last season, Mourinho's United, kings of the stalest of stalemates, they drew 10 home league games. They would have drawn this. This would have been nil-nil. This season, if you're being kindly, you could say they found a way to dig it out and get three points and find a way to win. How do you understand it? I hate to fall back on like previous tropes, but you sort of have to with Mourinho because there is so much form, is that... He does know how to fight a campaign. It is a campaign that he is fighting. He's not a manager who obsesses over individual games. He obsesses over season-long statistics and how he's going to do. His goal difference of 22, six goals conceded, the progress he's making on this team. He builds teams from the spine, from the center, from the back. That's what he's always done. And... I still think Man United are going to have something to say about the title this season. It doesn't mean they're going to win it, but I still think they're going to compete. We go into these dark days of winter now, Rog. You and I both know thimblefuls of daylight in England. Terrible pitches, frost, bumpiness. You're making me homesick. Strange course, the cold, the bitter cold cold, where even when it's you know in the 40s in England, it feels like it's minus 34 because of that draft, Rog, that, that cold, wet... Please, sir, can I have more? And he is a manager who, who campaigns really effectively in the Premier League. His teams play the kind of football that, that really works in the Premier League through this long, brutally, brutally hard season. You've seen it, Dave, so I'm not going to knock it. I will say, though, you can't help but look across the road at the Etihad and Pep Guardiola's magnificent, bald, bald revolution. And as I say, watching United struggle in this game, it only made me marvel more at Manchester City and what they've done over the past seven months. Two clubs with huge piles of cash spilled out of fleshy wallets, two mega-managers overseeing it all, and one Pep has summoned a consistency, a clinicality, a focus. The other, Jose, he's got football that's just languishing in comparison, cumbersome, creaking, just lesser. As of 13 games into the season, his football is way more impressive. Burnley, nil. Arsenal, one. A 92nd-minute Alexis Sanchez penalty allows Arsenal to nick all three points from a stubborn, well-organised and, frankly, impressive Burnley uh, side, Sean Dyche side, Rog. Arsenal leapfrog Liverpool and Spurs into fourth place. Burnley still seventh. Yeah, top of the table clash, Davo. Between two teams separated only on goal difference before kickoff. Perhaps because of that, Sean Dyche's mob, they've started with no fear. I mean, in the past, we've seen minnow teams in the Premier League just hold on from kickoff. But this Burnley, they had a game plan at both ends of the field, a rippled defensive unit playing a high line with discipline which made an out with illness Ozilness Arsenal appear blunt and the Burnley attack strutted down the flanks flung balls at Ashley Barnes I say in this game Burnley's confidence grew to such an extent they even subbed on a second forward Chris Ward in search of a late winner because late winners they are themes of this game Burnley Arsenal over the past two seasons it's as close as a Premier League game can get 
to an NBA playoff. You only really need to tune in for the last seconds. You remember last season, Arsenal took six points with late, heartbreaking goals, including one off the bony arm of Koscielny. And this season, they did it again. Second game on the trot via a late, last gas squeaker of an Alexis penalty. Yeah, I feel terrible for James Tarkovsky, Rog. It was, it was a push, but you very, very rarely see that given in injury time in a game against the home team, Rog. He looked gutted at the final whistle. Uh, you got to hand it to Alexis Sanchez. So much pressure, stepped up, took a fantastic uh, penalty. Burnley keeper got a hand on it, but uh, 1-0 to the Arsenal. Last season, those wins over Burnley, they felt like symbols of desperation for Wenger. But in this season, in which only Watford have won more points in the last 10 minutes of games than Arsenal's five points, it feels like this version of Arsenal, I say this especially after Jack Wilshere's much-hyped 24-minute late cameo, they're a more tenacious outfit than years past. And Mm. after beating Spurs last week, this week, late, they leap over them into their rightful, beloved home sweet home of fourth place. Are they for real, Davo? I've got to ask you this. Or do they flatter to deceive, raise their fans' hopes, only to dash them, as we've seen so many times before with this club? Look, I agree with you, is that I like this uh, Arsenal with more steel. I like the Arsenal with more tenacity and more desire to win rather than just a desire to play uh, fancy football. But ultimately, there's a little part of me that feels, what's the point if ultimately they're not going to go and win the title? So I think we're going to have to see if this is a team that can push on and put some pressure on Manchester City and contend for the title. Because it's one thing to play this game around the margins of Champions League qualification. Uh, It's another thing to actually go and play football. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to Arsenal. This applies to Liverpool. It applies to Tottenham. It applies to Chelsea. And it applies to Man United. These teams, to be rated this season, they've got to push on and they've got to put pressure on the leaders. It's just perhaps why Peter Cech post-game was hinting that their goal still is to win the whole Pavlova. It's only 13 games in. That's the most important thing. There's so many points to be won. Cue Manchester United against Arsenal on Saturday. I think truth will out for this club. Newcastle, nil. Watford, three. Goals from blondes have more fun. Poster boy Will Hughes. DeAndre (laughs) Yedlin into his own net. And Andre Gray have Marco Silva's men eighth in the table. Rog, the floodwaters, meanwhile, continue to rise on Tyneside, who after... Those three games on the trot, a couple of games into the season, Rog, uh, they've now uh, started to take on water. Yeah, and takeover targets themselves, creating uncertainty and mixed swirling emotions up at Newcastle. Fourth straight defeat for them. Watford, they just ran rampant here. 20-year-old Rich Arlison overcame the early curse of Rog to burnish his growing reputation, dishing the ball around. At will, all my favourites scored in this one. The translucent Will Hughes. who's like, it's like watching young listeners won't remember this man. Stephen Naismith's son. Just trot around the foot. It brings like so many memories of good times for me. And of course, DeAndre Yedlin with a phenomenal finish for the own goal. USA, USA, <laughs> USA. A game I really enjoyed, Rog. Crystal Palace 2, Stoke City 1. Goals from Stoke, Shakiri and Palace's. And Chelsea's Ruben Loftus-Cheek had this one headed for a tie. But in the 92nd minute, Rog, oh. Mamadou Sako poked in a winner and sent Selhurst Park, the whole of South London and Croydon, into delirium. Palace are still in last place, but have moved within three points of 17th place. West Brom, it's all turning around under Roy Hodgson, Rog. It is, even though when I look of him, he still thinks he's actually managing West Brom. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure of it, but Opta hailed this as Palace's first injury time winner at home in the Premier League since 1998. Oh, and what a cult hero Mamadou Saku has become. And here, he snatched more than just three points. He delivered a win that gives his team hope and life, Davo. Good God, to see 70-year-old Roy Hodgson smile again after that ball went in. It's to see that the human spirit is a hardy force that can take so much suffering, so much misery, and still not break. Shine on, you crazy dotard. Shine on. Can I tell you something that was said to me about Roy Hodgson by Steve Parrish when I saw him in New York a couple of weeks ago? 
And it's something that is an adjective I wouldn't have expected to hear. And I trust Steve implicitly in terms of his judgment. He's got to know the man really well. Because so I was talking to him about that wonderful moment on the sideline when, you know, Roy Hodgson was like, keep your chins up, lads, keep your chins up. <laughs> I said to him that, like, our feeling about Roy is like, what other Premier League manager would you want to come over to your living room and, and, and comfort you and have a cup of tea with you in time of crisis? He's the perfect man for the job. And he said, just don't ever underestimate how hard Roy Hodgson is. He is hard. He's like really, really tough on these boys and he commands respect because he's hard. And I think sometimes the picture doesn't tell the entire story of what's going on uh, behind the scenes. Certainly the steal he's had after those, you know, couple of early losses, you know, they found a couple of stolen points and suddenly, you know, it's tightening up at the bottom. And even though Palace remain in 20th place, I would rather be them than several of the teams sitting above them on points in the table. How hard exactly do you think Roy Hodgson is? How many rounds could you go with Roy Hodgson before he knocks you out, David? I don't think he was talking about physically hard. I think he was talking about like his, his hardness and toughness on the players and how much respect he commands because of his, you know, hardness on the training field. Just a former professional footballer. Like we look at him, we talk, describe him as an old man who doesn't know what's going on and it's all very funny and it's ha ha ha. But this is a former professional footballer who's coached all over the world, who's survived in all these places. And he's now coming into Palace, you know, massive expectations after everything that went wrong with him in England. And he's 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 turning it around. And I think that does take a level of toughness that we that we tend to write off. I think if I had a fight with Roy Hodgson, I imagine yeah. I would be in the Pete Neely role and he'd be in the Mike Tyson. I do not think I could go. Tw- I think I could go 12 to 17 seconds in the ring with that man. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we should put that on pay-per-view. It would be amazing. Roy, uh, Roy if you're listening, I'm going to hit you so hard, I'm going to kill all your family. There, Tom. West Ham won, Leicester City <laughs> won. Friday night football. Not in the face, Roy. London. A 45th-minute Chiati equaliser cancels out Mark Albrighton's goal and gifts David Moyes his first point as Iron's boss. Yeah, the West Ham programme before kickoff screamed, David Moyes, man on a mission. <laughs> David Moyes, man on a mission. Oh, wishful thinking. I'm sure Colonel Kurtz was fated similarly before he went out to Vietnam before Apocalypse Now. First point now, first big point for Davy Moyes in this game, which I do actually think is a two points loss more than anything because West Ham play Man City, Chelsea and Arsenal in three of their next four games. Yeah, I'm skipping over the Everton game. They play on Wednesday. David Moyes, Claret and Blue Army, sang the West Ham faithful, according to The Guardian. (laughs) Fans looking death in the eye and saying, not today. Tomorrow, probably, but not today. West Ham, they may yet become Sunderland with bubbles. Swansea, nil. Bournemouth, nil. South Wales versus South Coast. End scoreless, Rog. It is Swansea's first point in the last five games. They're propped up at the bottom only by Crystal Palace. And Southampton, four. Rog. Everton won darkness on the edge of town. I'm only going to say exactly what I tweeted when the final whistle blew in this one. Pray for Rog. You want to talk about this? Yeah, I want you to talk about it. I'll tell you, my parents have been in town in New York City over Thanksgiving. And football to me is a game of shared memories through the generations So to be able to watch two Everton games with my father and my children, three generations together, it's something that I've been looking forward to doing for months, for months, Davo. And then those two games with a 5-1 capitulation at home against mid-table Italian also runs Atalanta in the Europa League. And then this, a 4-1 demolition at Goalshy or previously Goalshy, Southampton. It was like thinking I was going to a family wedding only to find out it was a full-on, oh, it was a full-on funeral, Dave. It was that dark. This is Southampton are, what, they started this point, what, one point ahead of Everton? You know, they weren't a particularly good team. And yet they made Everton look, oh, I mean, worse than ordinary, Rog. Just completely, completely shambolic, disorganised and uncommitted. Yeah, I mean, the two performances, the Europa League, disaster and then the Premier League debacle which followed Everton were just enfeebled rudderless wholly unmotivated 
and we face mediocre opponents who we made to feel omnipotent because we just ceded initiative from the outset. I, did, I spent the second half of the Southampton game trying to think of a team that Everton could beat right now. I posted one on Twitter that includes Lena Dunham from Girls and Ralph Wiggum in goal. I say even the US men's national team, if they played Everton, they would probably, they would probably get a draw. How must you be? We've scored four at home, the Southampton fans sang. And they're not joking. David Unsworth, I know you listen to this pod. I don't know how you're still manager, but do something bold, man. Do something bold, but make yourself play a manager. Just put on a kit, go on the field, and just stand on the goal line, blocking opponents' way to the net with your girth. It would be a massive defensive uptick, mate. Ashley Williams, you don't listen to the pod because you don't actually care about football. You don't like football. You don't think about football. You are the worst Everton player I have ever seen pull on wow. an Everton jersey. Who is wow. the worst player you've ever seen wear a Chelsea jersey, David? Mo Salah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh... Was it Lukaku or KDB? There was a striker we got, the Romanian, Mutu. Yeah. But he was good for a minute, but as he's as 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 the coke started taking over his life, he wasn't very good. <laughs> I miss Mutu. The striker slash dealer. Oh, yeah. they, I I gotta say, there is such a we laugh, but there's such a choking doom around the team that I love right now. A club of tradition and consistency. That, that culture has just been turned upside down into chaos, panic, bled of its confidence. We've got no permanent manager. We've got a director of football, Steve Walsh, genius at Leicester, become a perceived as a buffoon on the cusp of being let go suddenly. And the player selection in the team, just, oh, a, just throwing crap at a wall. 29 goals conceded in the last nine games. It's all happened so quick. The only thing I've seen unravel so quickly in recent times, and this pains me as well, the State Department under Rex Tillerson, and a paralysis has just totally kicked in. I need to know, how does it look from your perspective in the penthouse, in the pavement? Because in a relegation battle, which we are in, Everton fans, we are in a relegation battle right now. You look to count the teams that are worse than you. You look for three teams. And right now, I see Swansea. And that's it, David. I think Everton are going to have to do a lot in the transfer window to save themselves. But they need a new manager, Rog. And I think these kind of performances make it harder to get a new manager who's going to really make a difference. I think a lot of the names who are being bandied about and spoken about, I'm not sure why they would leave and go to Everton right now. So true, mate. I mean, Everton feel to me as if I've fallen below the ice and I can't get back up to surface level. It's going to be so much harder than we like to imagine to turn this around. We are rotten from top to bottom. No leadership, no goal scorer. I wonder, could Pep Guardiola take this team? He wouldn't, obviously. But let's pretend hypothetically. Could he take this team and turn it around and lead it to the promised land of mid-table obscurity by making Sandro a goal machine? I, I don't think he could, David. No, I don't think it's that kind of manager. I think the bigger question is, could Sam Allardyce do it? Yeah. Um, it's going to be about that kind of a save this season. It's not going to be, they're not going to play football their way out of this. They're going to play football, Rog, in order to go and get out of this. Yeah, mate. You know, every manager who's now linked to Everton just reads like I'm dreaming a nightmare and you're just trolling me personally, David, because we are, you are right. We are nearing a darkness where you have to wonder what kind of manager, read what kind of same person would want to risk their reputation by inheriting the hot mess that's our current reality. Sean Deitch, no. Marco Silva, no. Ralph Rangnick, Diego Simeone, you're having a laugh. That really leaves three words as an option, Davey. AVB, which is you trolling me. <laughs> I would love to see his PowerPoint. Oh, my God. The Everton PowerPoint would be amazing. Everton have to show him a PowerPoint. We have, we have to sell him on him, Davey. Or big... Bloody Sam, those three words, both of them fill me with fear for different reasons. This is just 2017, an anus horribilis, I think they call it, Davo, in mm. which my Everton could be relegated and my US men fail to make the World Cup. Talking about you trolling me, Davo, this Wednesday, Everton face West Ham. David, yeah. David Moyes, West Ham, <laughs> loser to be immediately relegated. Those are the rules. Yeah. Oh, I think it's the Depression Derby. Should be sponsored by Xanax. I'll say 
Premier League writers, you are a bunch of sadistic b****s. That game is going to be the footballing equivalent for me of listening to REM Everybody Hurts for 90 straight minutes. A thank you to at Michael E. Pfeffer, who lifted my spirits by tweeting me this morning to say, I'm sorry that the thing you're immensely passionate about keeps letting you down. I hope this isn't how I make my parents feel on a daily basis. <laughs> the Men in Blazers Premier League mood table. <laughs> Men in Blazers mood table. <laughs> Got some good news for you. The mood table, Rog, a human triumph created by GFOP Matt Gordon that analyzes Twitter sentiment for every club's fan base right at the final whistle as they storm to victory, grab a delirious late equalizer, or in Everton's case, barely turn up at all. The mood table captures that emotion, ranks each team based on the instant sense of optimism and or pessimism of its supporters. This week's top spot, Rog, goes to Watford after their convincing 3-0 win over the tune. Chelsea sits second, that's weird, after their 1-1 draw. And rounding out the top three, Southampton. Suddenly potent Southampton, Davo. Chelsea will be second because that goal came so late and there was just an sense of incredible relief and gratitude for that goal right at the final whistle. I will say moral victors, Brighton, lease on life's Crystal Palace uh, also round out the top six. Bottom of the table, Newcastle, given that bare bottom spanking before their own terrified fans. Burnley, a different kind of sadness, second to bottom, born of raised hopes, turned dashed hopes. And then oh, Everton, we can't even come top of the worst teams in the mood table, Davo. And Matt Gordon, I couldn't believe Everton didn't come bottom of the mood table. They're third to the bottom in the mood table. He told me that in our doom, there were so many tweets in which Everton fans said they're, quote, happy that this is likely to be David Unsworth's last match. Happiness based on Gallo's humour is the worst kind of happiness that it lifted us off the bottom, David. It's That's the only hilarious. happiness in our life. Misery. Hilarious. Okay, Rog, uh, now to Togger the differential play of the year from this week's Togger winner, Chase Munn, who started Watford's Marvin Ziegler for a sneaky 34.5 of his 178.25 points. Congrats, Marvin. A patch is on the way to you. And in MLS. MLS Conference Finals, second legs kick off this week, Rog. Wednesday night, Supporters' Shield winners, Toronto host Columbus after a nil-nil draw in the first leg last week. And Thursday, the Sounders head back to Seattle after beating Houston Dynamo 2-0 away. Oh, I would love an MLS final in Columbus. Hashtag save the crew. I don't know if it's just me, but I think a combination of the, the MLS playoff structure timing-wise that the hangover of the US World Cup disaster and the gap in momentum caused by the international break feels very much as these MLS playoffs are, are kind of taking place in the shadows. And I had a conversation with a football-loving friend of mine who works in the record industry. He's part owner of a USL team in Phoenix. And he suggested, and I think this is an amazing idea, MLS needs to reorganize itself into regions, Northwestern Conference, the Midwestern Conference, like an East Coast Conference. And it could build on its popularity. It's got local popularity now in market. But to get to that next stage of the growth, which it's always thought was national, making fans of other teams care about big games, big playoff games, it would help if it had a middle stage of kind of like regional interest, team by team by team. And I can't stop thinking about that idea. You know, our friend Alexi Lalas always talks about some of the challenges for US soccer is just how big the country is. The record industry, Jen, he also told me something fascinating, David, that I just want to throw in here. He said okay. young, young music fans consume culture so much in the present day with almost no sense of history. He said the bands that feel seismic to us, like the Smiths or Pearl Jam, they don't register at all for teenagers. They simply do not exist. It's teenagers who consume their music in the present through YouTube. So brands, passions, interests can just disappear so fast. They don't even see it coming from forces they never see coming and don't really understand. And as he was talking to me, I felt terrible for the Smiths. But I started to panic about the profile of the game of soccer in this country, Davo, and the US men's national team, and how we've got to take nothing for granted. And there's work to be done, Davo. There's work to be done. Yeah, Roger, another note of optimism from my friend Roger Bennett. <laughs> 
Okay, Wednesday's Toronto versus Columbus game is at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports 1. Thursday's Seattle versus Houston game is at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Okay, Rog, there's also a full midweek Premier League slate oh. and like this. Tuesday on NBCSN, Leicester hosts Tottenham at 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. Wednesday, it's Man City versus Southampton at 3 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN. That's followed by our crap show, We're Sorry, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. There are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which is now Men in Blazers' Bald Mart. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? A book. Klopp, Bring the Noise, by Raphael Honigstein, the German journalist who last wrote Das Reboot, how German football reinvented himself and conquered the world. He's been on our pod uh, in months past, and now he's written a phenomenal biography of Jurgen Klopp as told by a treasure trove of interviews with friends, family, players, and team owners to build a three-dimensional telling of a gent who so often prefers to hide behind that kind of one-dimensional image of himself as a huggy cartoon character like a Teutonic Care Bear. And in this book, the layers are kind of peeled away by Honigstein, who paints a portrait of Klopp's childhood, playing career, and the management techniques he developed to give an image of a remarkable gent fueled by an intelligent, well-rounded worldview, a religious set of values, and an intense, an intense competitive drive. The more you read, the more you learn, the more you love, and you come to admire both writer and subject. And like all good football books, makes you think about life and your own life itself and not just the football. What I'm putting in the board, Mark, this week also reminded me about what I love about life, what I think about life. Rog, I got back to something I loved this weekend, something I loved as a child and I haven't done for so, so, so long, and that is peeling potatoes, Rog. Peeling potatoes is one of life's great joys in this sort of low-carb diet-obsessed world we live in. We just don't eat enough potatoes. We don't peel enough potatoes and then boil them or mash them, Rog. I peeled a lot of potatoes this weekend for charity, and uh, my potato peeler of choice is the High Hammer 18-8 stainless steel Y-shaped peeler with swivel blade for potatoes, carrots, apples, or even citrus, Rog. It is made of professional, high-quality stainless steel. It's only $6.99 on Amazon Prime. It is a fantastic peeler, but the importance, even if you have no interest in eating potatoes, I just advise all of you, if you have any problems in your life, anything you're trying to work through, just get a big bowl of potatoes, Rog, the russets, the big ones, and just get this high-hammer peeler and just start peeling them. Everything will sort itself out. You just the satisfaction of peeling a potato and then finishing a whole bowl of potatoes. There are a few things in life better than that. Oh, Dave, I, I love someone like yourself, upstairs kind of people who vicariously occasionally like to pretend they're downstairs. I love I love a good grips. I do. I love a good grips potato. Oh, good, good, anyway, the good grips ones are good. I was looking for a good grips one. Last minute though, the high hammer. I've always been team good grips. I love them. You can use a potato peeler on your nose hairs. It's double duty. <laughs> <laughs> visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter which we produce with our partner Guinness follow us on Twitter at meninblazers at embassy Davies at Rog Bennett on Instagram at meninblazers at embassy underscore Davies on Facebook uh, we're meninblazers you can always uh, send your ravens to the crap part of Soho you can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com Benderpunk Rog War Pig who wants to sex with Tombo? I like snacks Balls win Balls win take that Gloria Balls lose to tweed abrigado rock on mate kung fu fine america love you davo love you rog hot crot pray for rog <laughs>